Welcome to Tales from the Dance Floor, a podcast exploring the lives and times of people from all walks of life who followed their passions and made careers out of DJing, producing, parties, dance culture and the music industry. I'm Phil Morse from Digital DJ Tips. Let's get started. So over there in Maryland, in stateside, stateside from us here in Gibraltar, uh, I've got Adam Dutch here today. So Adam, welcome. Hey Phil, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. So Adam, let me tell our, our, our listeners the story of how, how we met. Uh, I met you at the DJ Expo in uh, Atlantic City, and you were doing, I have to describe it as one of the most comprehensive, generous, and intense talks on how to make mashups that I've ever heard. And in fact, uh, it was so big and so thorough that you had to do it in two parts. And I saw you outside frantically correcting all your notes and getting ready to present the next day's bit, if I remember rightly. So, you know, a very, very generous teacher uh, is how I saw you. And also a man who, who, who really lives and breathes the whole mashup scene. And I think that makes you someone who's very interesting to talk to on on Tales from the Dance Floor. So, um, yeah, as a way of introduction for you, Adam is, uh, to me, if I think mashups, I think you. And that's that's why I've invited you. But you've got a really interesting story here as well. So uh, so I can't wait for you to, to share some of that with us. Um, so I want to ask you your first question from us here, which is, were you brought up in a musical household? Were you surrounded by music? You know, I'm a first-generation musician, and that's how I got my start in DJ world. I was a professional musician before I went to DJing in 2006. And I mean, while I was growing up, like, that was my hobby. I remember in high school, I was coming home practicing guitar for six hours straight, and there was no sports. It was just music. And when you live and breathe music, you know it's going to be a big part of your life. You're like a sponge, aren't you, at that age? It's just, um, it's just kind of you feel like the, the, the whole of life is laid out laid out in front of you with no time limits and no constraints and you can just dive as deep as you want day after day don't you oh yes and uh, <laughs> after, yeah, after high school i went to Brooklyn college of music in boston and up there's a large amount of international students and i was meeting people from all over the world getting all of these different styles uh learning things different cultures of music that i've never heard of before in my life and i was that that helping me out a lot when it came to researching and playing for different people on the dance floor as well so, so even before I was studying DJing, the, the music training was very vital. And it's why in my seminars, I'm always about using a mixture as an instrument and being as comprehensive as possible. So this is this is really interesting. You know, I remember going to college and I remember, you know, you are you are young, aren't you? When you go to college, you don't know very much about the world. And I remember meeting people from other places and, you know, really having my world open to the, to their worlds, if you like. And it's interesting to hear you describing that from the point of view of music, you know, I was open to music that I didn't know and that I hadn't heard before. But back to kind of before that and school and so on, was it always about bands for you? Was it always about being in a band and stuff? Uh, what, did you ever consider DJing earlier on? Was there a moment on a dance floor when you thought, oh my God, what's what's this all about? What's that guy or girl doing behind the decks up there? Or was it all, always about being in, in bands and, and, and playing live music at that point in your life? 
Yeah, I got into electronic music sometime in the early 2000s, and back then DJing wasn't like DJing is now. I mean, now, nowadays every 12-year-old, uh, there's the big-name DJs. But back then it was a little more obscure in America especially. I, I was interested in the actual production of making that style of music because there's only a certain amount of there's only a certain amount of song or sounds you can get out of a guitar. However, if I have a MIDI controller in front of me at a computer, it's pretty much a limitless. Yeah. So that, that that kind of creativity and the and the, the the lack of boundaries was attracting you to electronic music pretty early on. Yes. And so I had no idea even about beat matching or, or mixing at that point. I I didn't learn that until I started working in clubs as a sound engineer, and I was here at DJ's mix for the first time live. And I was like, well, how is this happening? And I actually used my uh, music training to, to figure that out. So you were there kind of as a sound engineer. Was that the first work you got in, in Clubland as a sound engineer? That, that was my first job outside of, out when I graduated college. Okay, so you didn't, you never really had, if you, uh, you could see, if you could see my hands, I'm making the inverted comma signs. You, you mm-hmm. never really had a, a real job, right? It was uh, music as a teenager, music college, and then straight out and straight into a job in music. Yeah, I've never had a nine to five. Good man. All right. So, um, so yeah, so back to this, you're kind of sat there doing the sound engineering stood, you know, one thing that people who don't uh, play in clubs probably won't know is that the sound engineer generally is, is, is in the same place as the DJ, uh, taking care of everything that happens after the mixer, right? Uh, and um, so you're stood there watching the DJs with this music background. So for you, it was quite easy to understand what they were doing, right? You kind of cracked it quite quickly. Yeah, as long as you understand time signatures and tempo changes and how rhythm works, that that, that is the bare basics. Yeah. So how long did it take to go from there to being the person stood next to the sound engineer actually playing the records? How did that journey happen for you? A band member of mine at the time invited me to a DJ gig. He was getting into it, and he's like, Adam, I know you have a large music collection. Why don't you come along with me? We had some fun, make, make a few bucks. That was sure. Our, our first few gigs was just press to play and not be matching at all. Well, never burn your bridges, because that person introduced me to another person who ended up booking me for uh, about two gigs a month starting. And after a few years, that escalated to basically gigging six times a week in summertime which is where i'm at now so what kind of gigs are we talking about club gigs or you know what what kind of gigs were you playing at this point these are bar gigs private venues to hold about 150 people okay cool so um so what are you doing in the rest of the year of your time at this point in your life you know because much as we love playing bar gigs and they, they, they don't keep the uh they don't keep the lights on and the wolf from the door, do they? So what you, what are you doing at this point in your life to, to pay your way? I do some custom edits for people. I, uh, I'll get hired for people to mix up. Like I've been hired to make a cheerleading mix for, for a team. I've been hired by a wrestler to make a r- wrestling introduction as it came to the rink. Uh, dance squads, uh, things like that in production world. I also do video production. Okay, so... What you've done is manufacture yourself what I call micro incomes, right? You've got lots and lots of fingers in lots of pies, all of which add up to a kind of a la carte life that you've built for yourself with a bit of this and a bit of that. Would that be a fair way of describing it? Oh, yeah. So I'll share this. This is the best piece of advice I ever heard at college. It was entrepreneurship of music class. And the professor said, if you can't find a job, make your own. And go figure, I actually graduated college in 2007, right before the U.S. economy went to hell. 
and no, everyone was out of work. Everyone was getting laid off. I, I got laid off from my first job out of college and then fired from the second job. And after that, I, I started my own uh, music teaching company, doing private lessons at people's houses. And that's when I started making more money in uh, two weeks that I made it my the job I got fired from. And that was like, well, that quote was actually completely true. Yeah, if you can't find a job, make your own. And you kind of have to do that in the 2019 market nowadays because no one's keeping the same job for 30 years anymore. Uh, I, I see people have a great residency at a, at a bar and the bar gets shut down or they want to change directions. And you always have to have these supplements ha- happening. So that's a very interesting uh, way of of putting into words something that we actually have taught for a long time at Digital DJ Tips, which is, you know, whenever anyone gives you a job, whenever you're doing work, if you can flip the coin and work out how you could offer someone else that work, you know, that puts you automatically in the position of, you know, biggest strength, if you like, because you're, you're kind of like looking beyond the job you've got right now. And as you say, if you were then, if you were then you lost your Saturday gig because something had changed, well, Hey, you, you realized that if you promoted your own nights, you could uh, employ DJs yourself and play at them. And, you know, that kind of thinking, um, so, Adam, tell me about mashups. I'm going to get the, I'm already getting the impression that as someone who is musically trained or is musically trained yourself and then head off to college to, you know, to, to, to firm that up, and then you're also DJing, that at some point you got a feel for, hey, I'm, I'm kind of uniquely qualified to start making mashups. And tell us how you got involved in the, the whole mashup scene. I first heard of them years ago before it was like everywhere and on every single poll. And I'm talking like the early girl talk era, like mid two thousands, they kind of blow up for me when the EDM thing would happen in like 2009, 2010, because every single thing needed like a big EDM, <laughs> a mashup at, at that point in time. But I started making them a few years later, despite my music training, uh, I just wasn't that heavy to DJ production uh, until I was playing them more and then these ideas and especially making mashups of things I wasn't seeing a lot of, especially in the hard rock realm. If people do look at my mashups, you'll notice a, a large amount of rock ones and that that's, that was done for a reason. Because you spotted a gap, being entrepreneurial again, right? You spotted a gap for EDM rock mashups and thought, I'm going to go for that. Yeah, and I was also thinking to myself, like, there hasn't been a big rock song in America in years. And like the, the rock that a lot of people listen to is older. And I'm thinking to myself, there's probably a generation of these younger people at the bars and clubs that I play at who have heard, haven't heard these rock songs or haven't heard them in a while. But if I bash it with a Top 40 song, they'll put the puzzle together. Got you. So, yeah, I love it. It's just like breathing new life into into old stuff. I want to come back to something you said a second ago which is, you know, you weren't really into the idea of producing and, and stuff. Was there an immediacy about making mashups that appealed to you as a DJ? As DJs, we're into the immediate, right? We think what's going to work in a minute and a half's time, we drop it, it either works or it doesn't, and then guess what? Three minutes later, we do it again and again and again. Was there something about that immediate nature of being a DJ that appealed to you when it came to making mashups? I believe so, because the production of mashups, uh, some of the ones that I've We've recorded and put out there for people are actually ones I was doing live for for years, just with uh, two decks. Right, got you. So you, so so they were literally immediate, uh, and you just got into the studio and tidied them up a bit. 
Yeah, and I've actually had uh, friends and some fans re reach out to me. They're like, hey, Adam, I uh, was listening to this song on the radio, and it actually sounded a lot like this song from the 90s. Uh, can you try to put this together for me? And oh, that's it, awesome. Yeah, that's when, awesome. When, when people know that you do something and, and do it well, uh, be open to different ideas. And that, that actually led us to some really cool mashups that I uh, produced. That's, I absolutely love that. And you know what? That happens to me all the time. I've never got past the the doing it live stage. I've never actually put anything down, recorded it, but I'm exactly the same. I spotted the um, song by Duran Duran, Planet Earth. has got a very similar bass line to Blue Blue Monday by New Order just the other oh. day, and I spotted it in the gym. So I've lined them up. I'm hoping that at some point this week I'll get a chance to do that. But if I hear it, I'll know that you heard it first from me. That's all I'm saying. So no, um, um, so this is awesome. So this, I want to talk to you about how you get inspiration for mashups because Sometimes you hear them and you think, oh, my God, how on earth did that artist ever think of putting those two things together? Where do you tend to find these ideas come from? Is it exactly what you just described? Is it hearing one song and another one's going in your head and you think, hang on, I'm onto this? Or is there another kind of route that you find is more common? Yeah, it's one of about five to seven different ways that I come up. Uh, the first was the what you mentioned is the song sounds similar to something else. And another example of that is there's a song out right now uh, by Mo called Blur. And it's the exact same tempo, pretty much the exact same chord progression of Where's My Mind uh, by the Pixies. Right. And I, actually, I was listening to that on Sirius XM a, a few weeks ago. The DJ all there said, oh, yes, this sounds like the Pixies. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I, as soon as I heard the song, it, it said it immediate. But do I need to make this mash up? And the answer was no. I didn't make it on purpose because I don't know if that Blur song is going to be a massive hit. And oh, yeah. it's like, okay, what's the point? I, I knew they, they, they got inspiration from the song. However, some others that aren't specific uh just taking the same chord progression, the same tempo, which is what allow them uh, mashups work the best, or if they sample the song. For instance, I'm sure there's a mashup out there of uh, Money, More, More Problems by uh, P. Diddy with uh, I'm Coming Out by Deanna Ross, which is it was where it's sampling from. But do I need to make that? Yeah, so that, that comes to mind every single time I make a mashup. Is it needed? Because yeah. there's many mashups out there that end up in digital wasteland because they're not needed. They're nothing anyone needs to listen to. Maybe they are absolutely terrible. And that's the case with uh, thousands of mashups that, that are released every single month. And it's why mashups actually got a bad name for a number of years. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, so before we, before I actually move on to the, the kind of way the mashup scene has developed, um, carry on, you know, carry on telling us the way the inspiration sometimes hits you. So you've talked about people sampling other people and that, that kind of, that can be obvious, but I guess sometimes, you know, it's worth pursuing that. You've talked about things that just remind you of other things. You've actually also talked about your friends mentioning them, which I think is absolutely awesome. Um, yeah, well, but what else, what else um, inspires you? Well, another way is just having fun with music and how we actually are supposed to practice as DGs, and that's finding new ways to mix songs together. For instance, I'll take one song and just go through it by crates and find things in the in the similar tempo range that may work with them and uh, will be in key with them. And there's been some really good transitions that have come about because of that. Okay, so literally trial and error, literally just using the sort function on your on your DJ software to put stuff that's got something in common with with, with, yeah. with other stuff together yeah, and, and I, giving it a go. And I hear some DJs uh, complain often that they get a rod of 
playing this, the same song after the same song every single time. And uh, that's that's a good way to piss off their bar staff, by the way, because they'll, they'll pay attention <laughs> to that real quick. Uh, if it's if it's not a routine, I mean, I've, I've heard some people say they they literally just play song A and song B the, the same every single time. I've also heard some bar staff complain about DJs to play song A to song Z, so it was the exact same set every single night, which is uh pretty extreme. Yeah, if you wanna, if you, yeah. If you want to experiment and find different ways, take a song that you know you play every single week, one that's a popular crowd pleaser. And then just go through your stuff and find some other things that are going to work. That's not the same song you've been playing after that. I've actually seen also Forbes, like uh, some people always say, what should I play after Uptown Funk or something like that? Well, there's thousands of things you could do with that and probably mash up because that's a song with a very empty bridge at first that you could even do a live mashup with. So it's interesting you should say that because there is, um, there's even software out there now that, that, that scrapes the internet for set lists and, will do exactly what you said automatically. Uh, you put in a track and it'll tell you what other DJs are playing after that track. Uh, I think I find that a little bit sad, a little bit disappointing, a little bit inward looking. Um, because as you say, the, the creativity comes from, you know, spotting things other people haven't spotted, right? Um, yeah, that's, that's going to make you stand out immediately. Yeah. Have you got any instances you can recall where you've, you found something and you thought, oh my God, I bet no one in the world has found this yet. I bet no one's heard this before. I've, I've put these two things together and I reckon I'm the first and this is awesome. Can you recall times where you, you know, your hairs have stood on end because of that? Yeah, uh, this is your preferity warning, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, one of my most popular mashups is I Don't Fuck With You, Big Sean, Mixed With Crazy Bitch by Buck Cherry. And that came from a live routine I was doing at the time because Big Sean is, is saying bitch multiple times in the song. And I'm known at my live shows for playing a lot of rock versus hip hop. Crazy Bitch has uh, been one of the, uh, the good throwback rock songs the, uh, in the last few years that I was, I was playing out. So I mixed that one night and the crowd goes insane. I'm like, well... Time to really put this thing together. And like the bash show works perfectly. Yeah, it, it, it sounds great. It's got a great edge, and it goes and gets thousands of downloads. And, and like a few months after I release it, that's awesome. And I was thinking, so, yeah, I, I don't really hear those kind of mashups. Like I've, I've heard rock versus hip hop before, but not like that kind of edge before. Where it's like I, I didn't change anything in the instrumental of, of Crazy Bitch. That that's the actual recordings from the stems I have uh, downloaded. That's really, really, really good to hear. And, and you know, the mashup scene is is small, right? And you can't you can't become a a pop star by being a mashup artist. You're doing this for love, passion, recognition among what I imagine is a pretty small group of peers. Uh, and so, within that group, you're a bit of a superstar, right? You, if you go into Club Killers, tell people what Club Killers is, by the way, because some won't know. Club Killers is a great record pool out there. Uh, they have a section called Make the Cut, which if you're a member, you can submit a few tracks each month uh, for download. And it actually has a ranking on there. So if you put your stuff on there and it, it gets a significant amount of downloads, you end up on the charts there. I did hit number one on there a, a few times with some various stuff. Uh, either it was my own remix or uh, you can put your own routines on there. For instance, uh, bathroom break <laughs> mixes are uh 
kind of uncommon, but I put one out there mixing every single line dance together. It wasn't meant to sound good. It was meant, uh, actually, I made it to piss people off of the crowd uh, and punish them for requesting line dances all the time. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I just, I mixed all, all of them together, all the, all the popular words. So it lasts like 25 minutes and the crowd's going to get their exercise and after that's done. But that hit number one. I mean, again, it's not meant to sound good, but it, it was meant because other DJs want it for the same reason I made it. It gives you a break, and it will keep the audience happy or, or maybe punish them, one of the two, or maybe both. That's really, you know, a I, I sense I'm getting from you as someone who's kind of hustled your way to a career in all of this is that you've got a real eye for what people might want. You know, oh, I realized that when EDM hit big, I had to, everyone wanted an EDM remix of everything. So I started doing EDM. I realized that people weren't updating old rock songs so they could be played now. So I got into rock, hip hop, mish, um, uh, mashups. Uh, I realized that no one had done a, a, a half decent, you know, line dance mega mix. So I did one. And guess what? It was popular. I'm getting a sense that you, you, you almost enjoy looking out for these little pockets of, demand in in music that no one else has spotted would, would that be a, a fair thing to say oh yeah so your dg education never ends like all, all i'm learning things new every day and i'm a trade musician and been djing for uh almost 13 years now and your crowd is your best education because they'll tell you what you, they want and they don't have to be requesting stuff for that to happen you you get the vibe and, and you learn as you go i i use this example for when it comes to how I, I got really great as a DJ. I became good at one bar where people were requesting 50 Cent and then Willie Nelson. And it could have been the same person requesting that. <laughs> so it was very diverse. I got great when I did a college night for the first time. And your beat matching had to be on point and you had to be up on the latest EDM happening. So those two different elements, two different kind of crowds, I could not play the same set at. However, it, it made my skills go up drastically. And a piece of advice I'll give for everybody out there, no matter what level you are, you have to be playing for different types of people. If you play for the same type of people week to week, you're going to pocket yourself or you're going to be a typecast. It's why movie, uh, movie actors, they don't want to take the same role movie after movie because then they get typecast. So, oh, I can only play the uh, nerdy high school guy or I can only, only play this action star. So that's a, that's a very good advice that we, we give that in, a, in a, a very similar kind of way. We say that if a, if a gig interests you even 10%, take it, especially at the beginning of your career, because you're going to learn more at the gigs that push you out of your comfort zone than you are at the ones that interest you 90% or 100% because you, you know how to do those. So agreed. That's, I think that's, that's wonderful advice. So I want to get back to the mashup scene because I know people will be fascinated by what, your, what it's like um, and it, to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of had a peak around, I don't know, 2010, something like that. But clearly it's, um, all I've got to do is go on to, uh, some of the sites and listen to stuff that you've made a lot, a lot more recently than that and other people to see that it's still alive and kicking. So tell people a little bit about what the mashup scene is like, where you get a chance to, if you even do to play gigs where you're primarily playing mashups, are there still mashup club nights? Uh, you know, are there pockets of, geographically where it's it's big and it isn't big paint a picture for for our listeners well i'll say start we're just a record pool because <laughs> um, I, I use this in my seminar mashups on the center of dj and, and 
it's been the way for years. Some DJs are making mashups, uh, playing them live, and not even realize it because that, that's just a, a basic blend and transition. Yeah. And yeah, it may, it may not be labeled the record poll of something mashup, but uh, if, if they're using one pre existing song and another acapella uh, from a different song, that's technically a mashup. There's also the extreme, which are the, the mashup organizations who it's purposely mashup oriented. And a great example of this would be Booty Mashup. Booty is spelled B O O T I E. There are companies okay. that have been doing parties in San Francisco area for years. And they have a top uh, compilation, uh, Selfless uh, or Shameless Promo, right here. I made the uh, one for February 2019. Well, for mashup, I, I made a while ago, but that was my, my first time being released on a comp compilation uh top 10 mashups they put out every single month and it's a great way to learn these mashup producers because some of these people uh, make it every other month and have some damn good mashups another site that i love is mashup sticks sticks is s-t-i-x okay on, yeah yeah on that site you can post your mashup and get some feedback and what better way to get really good at making mashups when people are giving you advice on how to make them better and they'll awesome. yeah they'll they'll tell you if hey this mashup's really not working at all and i'll go as far as tell people to actually stop in the tracks uh other times they'll be like oh yeah sounds great just uh put a little bit of reverb at the end of this core slide or whatever yeah so um that's really good advice for anyone having a go at this and anyone who's i mean everyone everyone who djs out enough it's got one or two transitions that they think, now nah, there's something in this. I'd, I'd, I'd like to, you know, have a go. So, uh, yeah, advice to people listening to this. Mashup sticks with an X on the end. Uh, you can get some advice on on whether you're, you're, you're heading in the right direction. So, Adam, tell us about playing mashup club nights. Do they exist? Have you played many? Where? How did you get involved in that? I haven't been a part of an official party. They do exist in some cities. Um, yeah, again, uh, the Beauty Mashup is one of the organizations put them on. For me, though, I use mashups at gigs uh, here and there throughout the night, depending on the context of it. If you're doing a special theme night and people are there, they they bought tickets or they're coming just because it is mashup night, that's a special audience. However, I live in a resort town, and if I were to play four hours of mashups, I'd probably be fired. Right. However, people hire me because they know I have those in my arsenal. I can use them when needed, and I know how to beat match very very well so even if i'm not playing full-on blown mashups the whole night I, I could at least go from country to rock to uh classic dance to edm within 15 minutes if i need to and that's when the mashups really become handy because i could use those yeah. as transition tracks or especially if i'm peak hour dance for and i needed to put a throwback song on but i don't want to lose my energy I, I could throw on a mashup with a heavy drop in it that, that's that's actually going to work and benefit me that's interesting. You should hear. Uh, interesting of you to say that because one thing one thing we teach is we call them crossover tracks, and they're you know you're trying to get from 15 minutes of one genre to another genre, uh, and you play a crossover track, uh, and it's a crossover track because it's got a foot in each camp, and obviously a mashup by definition has got a foot in each camp because you've got at least two entirely separate records composing it. So, uh, so yeah, I mean it's interesting to hear that normal djs if you like 
ought to not be saying, well, I'm either going to play these things or not. It's always a case of looking for mashups that could work for you. So I guess a piece of advice would be to head over to the pools where you can find mashups, have a look for tracks that could work in your sets because the tracks they've used are the kind of stuff you play anyway for your audience. Yeah. Going um, back to what well, uh, well, mashups had their peak, uh, I, I th- for the general public, that, that that is true. However, there's going to be new songs coming out every single day. So we're not running out of material. And with new songs coming out, there's mashup possibilities that obviously weren't possible even last year because the song hadn't come out yet or maybe it hadn't been known by the, the, the general public. It's part of the, the joy of DJing full stop, isn't it? That there's always going to be new music. So therefore, there's always going to be new styles and new techniques and yeah. so and on. Not- especially revitalizing some popular tracks that the audience probably hasn't heard in a while. What better way to do that than when like top 40 is lacking and there, there's not really a dance hit out right now. That happened a few months ago. I was looking at the top 10 and there wasn't anything on there that was going to work in my club. So that's yeah. why I had to go back and find some tracks and, and go figure I'm playing college night and my top requests are for songs that are 15 years old. It's funny, isn't it? There's uh there's something we've noticed as well. There is a, There's a sense in music that, you know, music started, if you like, the kind of music that that, that gets played out started in the 50s. And there's still tracks from the 50s you can play now and get an amazing reaction from. Absolutely. You know, and it's almost like recorded music isn't, it's not being forgotten. It's just being added to. And I guess that makes the DJ's job in a way ever richer because you've got nearly a century of music behind you uh, now that you can potentially call on and do stuff with, which is great. Uh, And, that kind of brings me on to my next question, which is um, where where do you think mashups end and remixing begins? Is there kind of a place, a, a line that you cross and you're like, well, a mashup has to be two things people know or, you know, where, where, where do you see the the, the, the the line between producer and mashup artist? Tech, definition a lot of people use are beats. The real definition is your own music where you're actually playing a MIDI keyboard or you're programming new drum parts, you're recording synthesizer parts, that's a remix. Our, a technical definition of a mashup are two pre-existing songs. If you're throwing a re-jump part on, for instance, via, if I take two MP3s, put them in Ableton, which is software that I use, and then I just put a drum loop on it, I don't consider that a remix because I, I wasn't doing too much with it. I just added a drum part to it. Another uh, incident would be... It, I have a mashup out there of Cardi B and Metallica. And in the Metallica stems, the, the parts of the songs that I used for the mashup, I was actually missing one of the guitar parts that's in the song. So I, I actually start playing guitar in, in, in that mashup. Uh, there's a part in the bridge where there's a distorted guitar, and that's me playing. I don't consider that a remix because I was literally playing the, the same part that uh, James Hetfield was playing. Yeah, the, the bit the the bit that you were missing. So, in other words, you were if you had it, you wouldn't have had to play it. So it's uh... yeah, and I, I probably wouldn't go as far to start recording my own guitar solo at the end of that because that's gonna be it's the recognizable <laughs> with, with a band of that level. Yeah, but if, if yeah, if you're starting to do your own synth pads and new lead lines and stuff, that's when it becomes a remix. Now, do we need to get this technical and label that on a record pool? That that's up to the person who made it. I I, I don't download tracks just because it says mashup or remix i download it because of what that song title actually is going to say it doesn't say verses or does is it all playing on words that just tells me it's a mashup so yeah when you're looking for stuff to mash up you talked about using 
music and using, you know, spotting stuff that might go together. Is there a sense in mashups of trying to do something clever, trying to do something that's, you know, a bit of a joke, something funny, something people will get that's to do with the words or the um, the implication of putting two songs together? That's- yeah, I believe so. It's uh, It really depends on the context. I've heard some mashups before where it, it was out of key. It didn't particularly sound good, but it got a good reaction. And that's because the the song that's the acapella was so recognizable, and maybe even a joke song. I wanted to hear a Baby Shark mashup. I I read somewhere upon those yet, just yet, but uh, that, that could be handy depending on your circumstances. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so oh, wait, you know, I, I got wait, I got going. Uh, someone needs to do the Baby Shark with the Jaws theme song. Oh God! Yeah, well, that's exactly what I'm getting at. You know, that's exactly what I'm getting at. And and in a way, that's something that's unique about mashups, isn't it? Because there's not really any other musical art form where it's so easy to do stuff like that um so yeah i love i love that one that makes sense um and sometimes it's because the two tracks are just so extreme from each other that people like there's that wow factor of how the hell the hell does this work right yeah well i I got an example for that because a few months ago i released a mashup that was marilyn manson versus dc talk and for anybody unfamiliar with dc talk they were a very popular christian band of pretty much crossed over the mainstream in the 90s and i i did that kind of on purpose to get attention because i'm thinking to myself here i have one of the biggest christian rock bands of the or one of the biggest christian bands of the 90s versus one of the most controversial figures in american culture in the, in the 90s and what if i yeah. put those two together so i post this mashup to a dc talk uh fan forum on facebook and I had people all there say, this is blasphemous. Uh, someone said I, sh- I need to be banned from Facebook and this video needs to be taken down and stuff. And keep in mind, I also released music videos with my mashups. So here I have a video of uh, the Jesus Freak video from Marilyn Manson drinking blood and stuff. <laughs> it was a little shocking, but th- that was the shock value I was going for. Yeah, so I, I love it. I wasn't expecting anything like as as graphic or as extreme as that when I mentioned it. I was just thinking, you know, heavy rock with R&B or whatever. But I think you can't get more uh, polarizing than something like that. So it's uh, so awesome. That's a great story. So let's move away from kind of uh, the, the fascinating mashup scene and just, just talk a bit more broadly now. When you were very young, could you ever, did you ever dream that you'd be doing anything like what you what you fill your adult days with now. I had a sense that I, I would be involved in music at some point. I just didn't know what it was going to be. Uh, for instance, when I was in sixth grade, I first started school band. I didn't realize there was other jobs out there in the music industry other than rock star or middle school band director. Because <laughs> that's all I had seen at that point. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had no idea what a sound tech was. I had no idea what... Um, a DJ was at that point. I, I just figured that those were two extremes. You had to do one or the other. And it wasn't too later. And I started seeing these other things you could do in the industry and you kind of have to do uh, that could lead to other things. For instance, if you have a mobile DJ company, you can rent your gear out and make extra money that way. Or someone may say, oh, can you just come and do lights for the show? We already have music provided. There's always different ways you can make money in the music industry. It's interesting you should say that because I know that you've had a lot of success as a wedding DJ. And, you know, people who've listened carefully to the the rest of our podcast so far won't be too surprised about that because of having such a wide interest in music and so on. But tell us how you got into wedding DJing and, 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 you know, how that peaked and 
whether you still do any of that kind of thing anymore. Well, it was my it was my friends and colleagues in the industry of I, I always love club gigs because I can play a lot of different music and uh, some music that I've, I probably couldn't play at a, a traditional wedding. However, they said, Adam, if you want to make some real money, start doing weddings. I said, okay. So uh, I, I started getting, I started out just doing friends' weddings. They knew my style of DJing and they, they wanted me there. And that led to uh, a connection of mine who used to work at a major multiple, multi-alp that had like 20 some DJs on it. And that's what I started doing some pretty high scale weddings. And I was getting booked on these because we, we were selling me as, Adam has club experience. So if you want the club style of having all your music beat matched at a wedding rather than, than I sorry this offensive by cheesy DJs that uh maybe maybe are playing games and out there uh doing line dance instruction. That's not my style at all. So the clients who didn't want that experience and want a club experience would come to me. Now I, I reached my height around two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. I was doing about twenty five weddings a year. And my gig schedule is actually, I do about 170 to 180 shows a year. So it was that percentage. Yeah. I, ha- I have, yeah. And actually, uh, I ended up leaving that company. I was doing five a few years ago and two a few years ago. And now I do them as they come. I have, uh, uh, I don't try to do it full time. And I don't want to be a wedding DJ full time. Uh, it's also a, a market aspect as well. For instance, I could work in the club a, a lot in the summertime. And do I want to do a, a few major weddings every single oh, weekend for just summer? No, it's, it's just uh, not the style I go for. But I am available and I seek them out as needed. So, yeah, it's just something that appears like it peaked it peaked for you. And uh, you're lucky enough to have other things to choose from. I mean, you said you play, what, 170, 180 gigs a year? Yes. And that's that's now that's that's as we record this 2019. That's mm-hmm. that's your life. So that's kind of like every other night, right? Yeah, it's, it's mostly in May to October. That's my heavy booking season. I mean, I reach my slow point in January every year. I I do a, probably about seven to eight shows that month. However, since I'm in a resort town on the ocean, summer summertime is in. I, I can be out six times a a week at, at that point. So let me talk, let me talk to you about the, the this idea in DJing that in order to to have a full time job, in order to have a life uh, as a DJ, you have to produce your own music. Otherwise, no one will book you enough or pay you enough for it to be feasible to be a DJ. Obviously, you can't speak for everyone everywhere in 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 the world or even in the the US, but you can certainly speak for people. You know, for the experience in your town, is that true, or are there plenty of people? making a full-time living as DJs who have never produced a note in their lives. Oh, you can make a full-time uh, living DJ, not beat matching and just doing uh, children's parties and, and weddings. That That's still chaos is DJing full-time. As long as you have full-time income, that, that's the technical definition. But your definition of it seems to involve, actually, I don't want to do the weddings. I don't, I, I want to do other stuff. And so you don't even have to do that, right? To do it full-time. You seem to have found, found your niche quite happily, um, and I'm, I'm assuming the mashup side of your life, while you're, you are, you know, rightly known for that, I'm assuming you couldn't survive on, on, on that side alone. Oh, so no, yeah. you, very, very little money from that. Yeah. So you've managed to make your, your, your DJ living and pick and choose the kind of gigs you want to play. How have you managed it? Just by luck and a lot of work. 
it's, it's, it's sub two and, and the percentage usually changes depending on what I'm doing. But I, I was given some good advice th throughout my career. And another one was don't wait for the phone to ring. You, ha you have to be out there uh, doing things. I didn't expect to put a mashup out and then, okay, I get booked for a $3,000 wedding from it. No, I, I'm putting that out for uh, creative phrases or to keep things going with my portfolio. I think don't wait for the phone to ring is such a good phrase for anyone trying to make their own luck because it isn't going to ring. And I think another one is, you know, no one's going to pat you on the back and say, well done, you've made it now. Yeah. There is no, there's no path. So, And even with a lot of work, you can put a lot of work into something and it may not pay off. That That's just part of being an entrepreneur. You're going to have your ups and downs, your failures and your accomplishments. Yeah. So, all right, we've talked about kind of um, whether you kind of had this feeling you were going to get involved in this. What about your family? What do they think about your career? Do they kind of just like smile and say, he was always going to do this? Or do they even understand what you do? How's, you know, how do they feel? They're a little apprehensive at first, especially since I was in the starving artist category for many, many years. And yeah. I, I told him basically the same thing I mentioned earlier in this podcast. I didn't see myself doing anything else. It, it had to be music. Yeah. And... So at what point did they accept it? I was I had a really funny chat with uh, with someone on a podcast the other day who ended up doing a uh, being on stage on an Apple keynote and his he said my parents didn't understand my job but when they saw me on that Apple keynote they stopped yeah. they stopped asking questions. For you, you know, what was the point where they stopped asking questions and kind of accepted this was you? What when they realized that I was making substantial money from it? It's right. always, yeah, it has to be monetary or some things, or like what you mentioned with the Apple Podcast, something recognizable. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and where's it going for you? Where do you see it going? You know, you what, how, how long now? 10, 15 years into, into really enjoying yourself and, and doing all the stuff you dreamed of. Where's it going to go in the next 10 or 15 years? Well, I'm hoping to do more of the educational side because I've uh, been retired from private music teaching for a few years. And uh, right now I, I do consultations and the, the seminars such as DJ Expo. I have a book coming out uh, in the next few months. And it's called Mixing Matters. It's the same as my uh, title of my podcast. That's great. So do you want to tell people a little bit about your book? Yes, I am covering every single detail of DJing that I, that I could actually type out. Everything from how to beat match to what kind of gear to start out with to where to put your drink when you're actually mixing. Awesome. And every, uh, everything on the sun. And I'm doing this because I was looking at a lot of different things. I'm like, huh, no one's actually talked about all these different details happening. It, it seems like a lot of people are, are going way too heavy on the gear side or they're just talking about music. And of course, th those are important parts of our job, but there's a lot of other things. For instance, how to handle when someone requests something that's completely inappropriate for the room. There's a few different ways you can handle that, and that's the kind of stuff that I talk about. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's going to be a really good complimentary book to, to our Rock the Dance Floor book that, that covers... Uh, well, I mean, no book can cover everything, right? You need to write oh, yeah. 12... 12 volume encyclopedia to get close but uh well I, I really can't wait to to see that book adam and to and to get stuck into it um so that's awesome so that's coming out later this year right yes 
So, all right, let's talk about education. Let's talk about, um, you know, education always comes from wanting to make things better for people. Um, what do you see DJs doing wrong that really exasperates you in, in, in 2019? I'll get some hate from this, but I do think it's a little unacceptable for DJs not to beat match. I understand that not every get calls for it, but what I, what I see people not being able to do that basic function and the thing that really could make a party it kind of hurts my soul a little bit. Okay. Well, that, that, that makes sense. I think, you know, there's a difference between not doing it and not being able to do it. Right. You know, there's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's like not every artist paints a photo every time they pick up a brush, but they damn well better be able to do one if someone asks, right. Otherwise they're missing a, a key skill. I guess that's what you're saying. Yeah. And my other big pet peeve is where the DHA doesn't understand what gig they're at. Either they're playing inappropriate music or the music they're playing is, really out of date for instance i've heard some djs who are actually still playing some like disco songs ripped from a cd that they ripped in the 1990s so it's un- unmastered really low volume and stuff and that that's just being lazy there's all these record pools out there that have remastered tracks ones that sound a lot better and that's part of evolving your, your djing and your education yeah, so I yeah I hear you there as well. So there's a difference again. We were talking earlier about the whole the whole world of music is laid out before you as a DJ now, but you should be digging back in time for a reason, not just because you're too lazy to to keep yourself up to date, right? Yeah, and I, I don't expect a DJ who wants to do it part time and they may have six gigs a year t- to be putting out a new mix every single week. However, no matter what level you're at, there's always new things you can do. Either it's finding new songs to play or you're going to see how you can upgrade your gear because yeah, we're always growing we're growing as people we're growing as artists so always try and find ways to improve and always try and find new ways of doing things and always keep your record collection up to date so that you've got something to play that's genuinely exciting and if you haven't make it yourself mash it up make something exciting right yeah, and luckily the listeners are doing this exact same thing right now because they're listening to this podcast and they're wanting new information yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, they, and they've got right to the end of it as well. So they are the keenest of the keen and the best of the best of our listeners. I think uh, as is customary for you, you've been very generous. Some great sound bites and some great advice that you've given us today here on Tales from the Dance Floor. So Adam Dutch, uh, it's been great having you here. Thank you very much for your time. We will look out for your Mixing Matters book later on in 2019 as we record this. And enjoy your DJing this year. Enjoy your summer season which is going to be here before we know it right oh yes looking forward to it thanks again phil thanks for your time goodbye